The text for this morning is taken from Zephaniah chapter 1, namely the first part of verse 14. These words, Zephaniah 1, 14a, the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. So far the text. After the sermon, we'll sing hymn 67, 5, 6, and 7. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I dare say that the book of Zephaniah is probably one of the lesser-known books of the Bible. It's part of the Minor Prophets, and even as part of the Minor Prophets, the book of Zephaniah is probably one of the lesser-known books. And yet it has an important theme, and that theme is the Day of the Lord. Throughout the book of Zephaniah, you read about that great day in which the Lord will come with blessing for those who have served him in faith and obedience, and that great day in which the Lord will come with punishment for those who have not served him in faith and obedience. And the thing that we need to remember as we are gathered here for worship this morning, brothers and sisters, is this. When Zephaniah speaks about the day of the Lord, then he's speaking to God's people. He not only has a message for the world when it comes to judgment, but he also has a message for the church. And that's what makes his message so riveting. And when these words of our text were spoken, they were spoken to God's people. And that's a message that is relevant for the church of all times and places. Because also in other parts of Holy Scripture, we read about the day of the Lord. It's the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day when Christ will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And the question for God's people is, are we ready? Are we ready for that day? that day of blessing and that day of judgment. And the question is, for each one of God's children, what kind of a day will it be for you? A day of judgment or a day of blessing? I summarize the message as follows. The great day of the Lord is near and hastens quickly. Words straight from the text. Our theme is, the great day of the Lord is near and hastens quickly. And as we focus on that, we'll note two things. First of all, the explicit warning 
And secondly, the implicit call. The great day of the Lord is near and hastens quickly. We note, first of all, the explicit warning. And secondly, the implicit call. As I said, Zephaniah was one of the minor prophets. A number of them worked before the fall of Jerusalem, and a number of them worked after the fall of Jerusalem. Zephaniah was one of those prophets who worked before the fall of Jerusalem. He lived and worked during the time of King Josiah, a man who initiated various reforms in Judah. But the impression that we receive from this book is that Zephaniah worked toward the beginning of Josiah's reign, when these reforms had not yet been implemented. And so God came with an explicit warning. And Zephaniah opens in a very ominous way. We read in the verses 2 and 3 that God says, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Those are ominous words. Those are words of total destruction. Those are words of judgment. And these words make us think of what we read in the very beginning of the Bible. Because these words of Zephaniah are words of cataclysmic destruction that not only make us think of the days of Zephaniah, but these words also make us think of that great cataclysmic destruction of which the Bible speaks pertaining to the end of this world's history. Zephaniah speaks in language which is reminiscent of what we read in the book of Genesis regarding the flood. In Genesis 6, verse 7, we read, So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. And we find the same thing in Genesis chapter 7, verse 4. For after seven more days I will cause it to rain on the earth, Forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And we hear that same kind of language in Zephaniah. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens. I will cut off man from the face of the land. It's a picture of total destruction. And it makes us think of that total destruction at the beginning of this world's history. And it makes us think of the total destruction of which the Bible speaks about the end of this world's history. So when Zephaniah prophesied to God's people in Judah, God not only gave him a message which was relevant for his own day, but God gave him a message which looked also into the distant future a message which is relevant to God's people of all times and places. And we call to mind what Peter writes in his second letter when he speaks about the day of the Lord and he says, everything will be destroyed by fire. And Peter says, it will be just as in Noah's day. 
When the world was deluged and destroyed by water, so it will be at the end of days when this world will be destroyed by fire. And so you see, brothers and sisters, that this message in this minor prophet, in this lesser-known book of the Bible, is a message that we should listen to today because it's a message which impacts us today too. And notice what Zephaniah says about God's own people. Because the description of the sins of God's people in Zephaniah's day also impacts us today. And we need to ask ourselves, do we see ourselves in this picture? I think of what Zephaniah says about the religious life of God's people. He says in the verses 4 through 6, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Zephaniah was referring to three different kinds of people among Judah. There were people who served the Lord, but who also tried to serve false gods. There were people who no longer served the Lord, but only served false gods. And there were people who served no one. They were completely irreligious. And we need to ask ourselves today, what kind of people are we? The Christian church today faces the danger of what might be called syncretism, a situation in which we serve God and in which we also serve our own gods. The gods of our age, materialism, pleasure, sensuality, you name it. Whom are we serving? And the point that Zephaniah was making was that God requires the undivided love and service of his people. I think also what Zephaniah says about the social customs of God's people in those days. We read in the verses 8 and 9, And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that it will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel, in the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. In other words, Zephaniah was saying that God's people wanted to look like the people around them. And he makes that explicit, he makes that very clear when he refers to the clothing that they wore. He says, and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. That simply means they, they not only took on the practices, but they even took on their clothing. They wanted to look completely like them. 
Not that there was something wrong in the clothing itself necessarily, but what Zephaniah is saying is this. They had become completely assimilated, conformed. There was really no difference anymore. And so we might ask ourselves some questions today. Does our clothing reflect the fact that Christians are to exhibit modesty and propriety? But that's just one little aspect. We can broaden it. Does our language differ from the language of the world? Is it wholesome talk that comes from our mouths? Is our entertainment different than that of the world? Or do we do all the same things? Are we more or less completely assimilated? Have we conformed? That was the issue in Zephaniah's day. I think also of what he says about the commerce among God's people. We read in the verses 10 and 11, And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. What Zephaniah is saying is this. Corruption had infiltrated God's people. They were just living for making a profit. Jerusalem was known as a city of commerce, and the people were not above taking advantage of one another, right among God's people. The poor were taken advantage of. Materialism ruled the day. And we might ask ourselves today, is materialism ruling our lives? What are we living for? What are we working for? What's our goal? Is it all about money? And I think about the complacent attitude that Zephaniah describes among God's people in his day. The verses 12 and 13. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. God's people in Zephaniah's day thought that God would let it all go. They thought that as long as they went through the religious motions, as long as they went to the temple regularly, as long as they brought the sacrifices regularly, no matter whether their heart was in it, as long as they did all the rituals, all would be well. And we might ask ourselves today, how are we in that respect? Is it just about going to church as expected and for the rest well, God won't touch us.
And therefore, brothers and sisters, Zephaniah issues an explicit warning. That's our text. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. Zephaniah wanted to impress upon God's people that God wouldn't let it go, and he uses that word near twice in our text. He says, the great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and it hastens quickly. Zephaniah impresses upon God's people that God won't stand for those sins. You can't think that you'll get away with it, that there will never come a time of reckoning. Jerusalem would be destroyed. Zephaniah speaks about a battle cry against the fortified cities and the corner towers. And it's also clear that Zephaniah has his eye on that cataclysmic destruction at the end of this world's history because that's how he begins in chapter 1 when he speaks about God utterly consuming everything from the face of the land. And we recognize in Zephaniah's descriptions that God has something more in mind than just the destruction of Jerusalem that would come if God's people didn't repent. And if you read through the Bible, brothers and sisters, you find that time and again, God impresses upon his people the day of the Lord. It's coming. We read about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think of what the prophet Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 1, where he also speaks about the day of the Lord and says in chapter 1, verse 15, Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. And I think of what Paul writes in his first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, where he warns God's people about the day of the Lord and says in chapter 5, 2 and 3, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The day of the Lord. God warned his people in the Old Testament times, and he warns us today. It's coming. And if you read through the Bible, you find that the day of the Lord is a day associated with darkness. We read about that darkness not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Zephaniah writes about it in chapter 1, where he says in verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. I think again of what Joel prophesies in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where he also speaks in terms of great darkness and says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, 
like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even after many successive generations. A day of darkness and gloominess. And I think of what Amos prophesied in chapter 8, verse 9, where he writes, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. And one more reference, this one from the New Testament, from the book of Revelation, in which John prophesies about the end of this world's history. And he says in chapter 6, verse 12, what will happen. And I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. It's a picture of darkness. And you ask yourself, why this picture of darkness? And the answer to that is because it's the darkness of hell. It's the darkness of God-forsakenness. It's the darkness in which you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think of what we read in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22, verse 13 in that parable of the wedding banquet in which one man was present who wasn't wearing the wedding garment. And we read in verse 13 of Matthew 22, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the darkness of hell. I think of what Peter writes in 2 Peter 2, verse 17, where he writes about the ungodly, and he says, blackest darkness is reserved for them. And I know, brothers and sisters, this is not a pretty picture. This is depressing. But God tells us this in his word as an explicit warning so that in that explicit warning, we might hear the implicit call. Judgment is coming. God cannot tolerate sin. And so there is that explicit warning which comes with that implicit call. And what's the call? Well, the call is to seek the Lord. And Zephaniah makes that implicit call explicit in chapter 2 when he says in the verse, three verses, gather yourselves together, yes, gather together, O undesirable nation, before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. While there's still time, and what did it mean for them in Zephaniah's day to seek the Lord? Well, it meant this. It meant repenting from sin. 
It meant focusing on the covenant promises. It meant walking with God. It meant living in faith. And what does it mean today to seek the Lord? Well, it means all those things. It means repenting from sin. It means focusing on the covenant promises. It means walking with the Lord. It means having faith. But we can say more today because we live after the time of Jesus Christ. And we know what God has done for us that we might escape that judgment. We can put it like this. Seeking the Lord means seeking Him where He can be found. And that is in the person of His Son. Seek the Lord in His Son. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior sent from heaven to this earth. See God in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's the whole gospel. Christ came into this earth to bear our punishment, to go the way of suffering, to endure the agony and darkness of hell for us, that we might escape. He took our sins upon us. He performed righteousness for us. And in Christ, there's salvation. And when you see the Lord Jesus on the cross, when you read about that in the New Testament, you need to think about these things that we read in Zephaniah. Because Christ endured the darkness and anguish of hell on the cross for all those who believe in him. The judgment of God fell on Christ. I think of what we read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, 44 and 45, where we receive a picture of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And we read there, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. There was darkness from 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, when you would have expected bright sunshine. There was darkness. Just as Amos had prophesied, darkness at noon as an expression of God's judgment. And that judgment fell on Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You see, brothers and sisters, when Zephaniah prophesied and when those other minor prophesied, they were looking way ahead. And that punishment that will come on the day of Christ upon all those who've not believed in Jesus Christ, that punishment fell on Christ for all those who believe. And we read in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, that out of that darkness of hell came that cry of our Savior, my God, my God. 
Why have you forsaken me? That's the gospel. And so we hear this warning. The great day of the Lord is near. It hastens quickly. We hear that explicit warning, and we hear in that explicit warning the implicit call. That's the call of the gospel that we hear in the church. It's that call that goes out on the mission fields. It's the call that goes out into our community in one way or another. It's the call to believe in Jesus Christ. It's the warning that judgment is coming. But it's the gospel that speaks about escape through Jesus Christ. And it's the message that says, believe in Jesus Christ and you will escape judgment. And that's the message that the Christian church brings. That's the message that God has given us. That's the hope that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And when we focus on Jesus Christ, it makes all the difference in our lives. The person who believes that message, who walks with God in faith, is a different person. And that's how it should be in the church. That's how it should have been in Zephaniah's day when the people looked forward to the promised Savior. Then it will be our desire to serve God undividedly in all aspects of life. Then our faith will lead to practical obedience. Then we'll not try to serve God and gods of our own making. We'll not try to fit into the world. We'll not try to be complacent in the Lord's service. We'll not try to live in such a way that we try to get away with as much as possible. Then we'll strive to live according to all the commandments of God. That's the picture of the Christian who lives in thankfulness for the gospel of salvation from sin. And really the question is for you today who hear this message from the prophecy of Zephaniah about the coming day of the Lord. The question for you is, is that the picture of your life? That you walk in thankfulness before God because you've embraced the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. You've embraced Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin and judgment. Is that the picture of your life? If it is, such a life is pleasing to God because it's a life of faith. It's a life built on Jesus Christ. And then when you hear this message about a day of judgment coming, then you may say, Christ has borne that judgment for me. And now for me, as a Christian, so you may say, there's only blessing forever. <laughs>